Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode brought to you by our new sponsor, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness, who we featured on episode 145. Now, if you haven't heard that episode, I encourage you to go back and take a listen. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to remind you to take a look at the leadership books on my website. Harry Truman once said that not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. So if you're not reading leadership books today, I highly encourage that you get started. I've written three leadership books, and I recommend you start with I Have the Watch first. It's filled with 22 short stories that will help you become a leader worth following. Now, it's a quick read, and most people finish it in less than three hours. It's available on Kindle and on Audible as well, so you can listen in the car or while you're working out. And a Spanish version is also in the works. So check out all my books either on Amazon or on my website, johnsrenny.com. Also, I wanted to mention that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 3 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. We're also closing in on the top 100 management podcasts in the U.S. So I want to thank each and every one of you for listening every week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about self-leadership, and my guest is Andrew Bryant. He is the world's leading expert on self-leadership and the author of three amazing books. Now, he's here to help us understand how to master self-leadership, especially in a time of post-pandemic uncertainty. Now, this was an amazing discussion that I know you're going to love. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Bryant. Andrew is a leadership coach, author, and keynote speaker. He is the founder of Self Leadership International and is considered a world-leading expert on self-leadership. Andrew has coached hundreds of leaders and leadership teams to become the best versions of themselves and to scale their companies. He's written a new book called The New Leadership Playbook, Being Human While Successfully Delivering Accelerated Results, which helps readers 
become more effective leaders in a post-pandemic world. So I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about it. So Andrew, welcome. Well, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's good to meet you and and, and congratulations on this book because I think it's it's much needed right now. So I'm uh, I'm excited to that I got a chance to read it and I'm excited to talk to you about it uh, firsthand. So let's get started with like, <laughs> so tell us about your background. How does somebody become a global expert in self leadership, which I absolutely love? Yeah, well, it's you know Steve Jobs says you you join the dots backwards. So. <laughs> Um, I'm British by birth. I'm Australian by passport. Um, I'm Asian by the fact that uh, I lived there for 18 years and I'm Brazilian by wife <laughs> and I live in Portugal. So, you know, I get to move around a bit. But the, as an English grammar school schoolboy, I was a good science student and I had planned to do medicine. I, you know, ironically, I thought I'd look good in a mask. Little did I know that I'd have two years of wearing one. But um <laughs> So uh, I, I was destined to do medicine. They merged my boys' grammar school with the girls' high school just before university exams. And, you know, I'll leave the, the rest to your listeners and uh, imagination. I got distracted. Um, and I had a second choice, which was physiotherapy. Uh, I think in the U.S. you call it physical therapy, but it's, it's uh, uh, in, the, in the U.K. it's kind of a mix between physiothera- uh, physical therapy, chiropractor, um, and, and in those days, I got interested in sport. And uh, this is the, I graduated in 1982. In the, in the mid-80s, I was working with sports teams. And my curiosity shifted from the physical to the psychological. Mm. You know, the, if, in the mid-80s, if you, if you think back, was the beginning of the research on goal setting. It wasn't until the 1990s that positive psychology came out. And so I was there in the trenches, as it were, thinking about how do we help people and teams to perform their best, what rituals work, what training works. And I moved to Australia and... Uh, Australia is sports mad, as you probably know, and I helped a team win a championship, and that team was sponsored by a company, and the managing director of that company said to me, hey, Andrew, you helped my team win. Now come and work with my management team because they suck. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, And it was Australia, so, you know, that kind of vernacular was the norm. And so I went, okay. And I went in with basically a blank sheet of paper and I watched and observed behavior. That's what my training as a physiotherapist taught me to do was to watch. You know, physios watch how somebody throws something, how somebody jumps. Mm. And I watched how the managers communicated and how they, and I could quickly see their individual drivers and the group drivers of behavior. And I was able to map out a play for them to be better. And I got Mm. results. So that was the beginning of the journey. But of course, as everybody does, I, I had some imposter syndrome. I'm like, well, you know, I've moved from, from physio to, to, to consultant. I need to go and do an MBA. So off I went to do an MBA um, in uh, Western Australia the, at, uh, Perth, in Perth. And I started doing the organizational leadership and, uh, and psychology course. And I started arguing with the lecturers, as you do. Uh, they encourage it, of course. And I had one really great lecturer who said, Andrew, you've got some really good ideas. Stop arguing with me. Go write your own book. 
And the rest, as they say, is history. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, it's interesting. So you you really you came from a sport background and brought that into the business world. And it's interesting that uh, so many leadership uh, people I talk to have. I, I talk to a lot of coaches, you know, sports coaches, and then there's a lot of parallels between leading a sports team and leading a business. And so it's interesting that some of those uh, crossed over, and you saw those crossover in your career. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was one of the uh, sports psychology is, wasn't as mature as it is now. If I'd stayed in the field, um, you know, there are some very celebrity sports coaches. There are parallels. There are differences too. I mean, the difference, of course. Um, I mean, I you know I get booked as a motivational speaker, and often you'll get a sports person say, you know, this is how we train for the championship, and everybody goes away very motivated, and that's all good. The difference, as anybody in an organization knows, is it's a marathon without a break. It's 100%. It's, <laughs> no break. It's an ultra marathon. I mean, as a sports person, right, yeah, okay, you train for the race, you race, and then you get the adrenaline rush and the celebration, and you get a late, you know, you get some time to recover. Yeah. Um, management teams run at a goal. Um, and they run at all sorts of goals. You know, they're running towards IPO or they're running towards acquiring a company or being acquired or the end of the quarter. And, you know, the end of the quarter, we hit our numbers. Yay. You know, bottle of champagne. And then the next day, the new quarter starts all over again. Yeah. And they got to do the whole thing again. And then somebody moved the goalpost. So I think there is a difference. Um, there are similarities. The difference is you don't get the break. Yeah, you never get the break. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about self-leadership. I, I, I know I have a definition in my mind what I think it is, but um, tell us what, uh, how you view self-leadership and how does it bring leaders and teams together and, what, and, and how do you teach it such that it does bring them together? So this takes me back to the late 90s when I'd started, you know, I'd, I'd started working with companies and I'd started speaking about um, performance and how you do it. And I was looking for a term. And I and as as a coach, you you always work on the inside out. There's a great book called the uh, the Inner Game of Tennis, which you know shows there's a there's a mindset and then there's the physical behavior. So I always talked about the inside out. That had been a strong metaphor for me. And um, but around about 1998, 1999, I was talking to a friend and saying what I was doing, and he said, "Oh, you mean self leadership?" And I said, "That's it." And I thought I'd invented the term at that <laughs> point, but. When I later researched the origins of self-leadership, uh, which you know, comes in you know, around self-learning, self-regulation, um, self-control, there's a lot of various um, theories. I discovered that a guy called Charles Manson used the term in 1987, uh, which predated me. So I didn't invent it. Manson talked about it was a process of self-influence. In my 2012 book, Self-Leadership, How to Become a More Successful, Efficient, and Effective Leader from the Inside Out, uh, with Dr. Anna Kazan, we define self-leadership as the practice of intentionally influencing your thinking, feeling, and actions towards your objectives. And as, if I can break that down for your audience, it's a practice, like taking a shower is a practice. Cleaning your teeth is a practice. If you don't do those things on a regular basis, you are going to stink. And, and self-leadership is like that. I've been teaching self-leadership for over 20 years, but my wife every now and again, if I'm having a meltdown, will say, go self-leadership yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a practice it. of, and it's about being intentional about our thinking, feeling, and actions. 
And leaders need to be intentional. I mean, the whole point about leadership is it a process of it is a process of influence, self influence first before we can influence others. You know, you you can't say do as I say, not as I do. People role model your behaviors. And as a leader, we have to be very self-aware of what narratives, you know, what thinking we have, how do we feel about a situation, and edit those narratives as we articulate them to somebody else. Right? You know, during the pandemic, it was terrifying. People didn't know, you know, what was going to happen to their businesses. The leaders needed to have a narrative to tell their followers, otherwise everybody would have panicked, right? And you with a military background, as you know, you know, you know when, when, when things are going pear-shaped, you need to be managing that narrative so that others will follow you. If you lose the plot, everybody loses the plot and uh, the outcome is not good. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always put the analogy towards, you know, being at sea and you have rough seas and it's uh, things are you're, you're facing unknowns. Everyone's looking at the captain to make sure that you know, he knows what he's doing, right? And and that's what happens in a crisis too. You know, the, the people look to the leader to say, does he have a plan? Does she have a plan, right? Is there, you know, do are they in, in control of the situation, even though, you know, the, the outside world may be out of control, but do they have a plan? And they're looking for you to confirm that. And uh, and if you show, announce a panic, uh, they're going to panic too. And they're going to reflect your your uh, your emotions through that through that journey. Yeah, and that's very true. I mean, it doesn't mean that the, the leader can't say, you know, these are tough times. That that is the the Stockdale paradox, which I'll refer mm. to in a moment. But um, you know, there's a great nautical poem, of course, which is Invictus, which was the yeah. the the poem much loved by Nelson Mandela. And the and the last part of that poem is, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Yeah. And, and there in poetry is the heart of self-leadership, is that I choose to be the captain of my soul. I choose some level of self-direction, regardless of what's happening behind, around me. And I often say, you know, we don't choose the time, place of our birth. Within a few moments of coming into this world, we're given a name, a nationality, an ethnicity, and possibly a religion and a football team to follow. So, you know, we've been framed, we've been we've been programmed from the get-go, as you would say in the US. And and it takes quite a lot of energy to go, you know what, this is the course I want to choose. Yeah. All right. Not just because it's a peer group. You, you say, this is, this is, you know, love my parents, love my upbringing, but this is what I want to do. Um, and that's it. Um, the Stockdale paradox, you probably know it uh, because it's uh, it comes from Admiral Stockdale, who yep. was interviewed by Jim Collins for his book, Good to Great. One of my favorite the, books. We talk about it all the time on this show. So yeah, <laughs> you're up my alley. Well, well, <laughs> Yeah, well, Admiral Stockdale was 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 a you know had had done a philosophy class on Stoicism before he became a prisoner of war during the American Vietnam conflict. And um, notice, I say American Vietnam conflict, not Vietnam War, because I lived in Asia, and the the Vietnamese call it the American War. Um, so <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? It is. But but Stockdale was, as you know, was a prisoner, and the Stockdale paradox is the ability to face. You know the worst possible reality, whilst not losing hope that we will prevail, yeah. and that really is a practice of self leadership, right there. Absolutely, and if you're an entrepreneur, you live by that principle. <laughs> I started my company six years ago, and I've had to live by that principle for for a good part of that. So, <laughs> absolutely. Yep. 
Very good. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've written two best-selling leadership books on self, uh, self-leadership, self and now you've focused your attention to effective leading in this post-pandemic era. So why did you feel the need to write this new book, the, the new leadership playbook? What was the origin story behind it? It was a request from a client. Mm. Um, I, you know, so this is my fourth book, and I, you know, never say never. I thought I'd, I thought I was done. Um, and I don't really identify as an author, even with four books. But um, so I was working with a Silicon Valley client. I worked with the CEO and the executive leadership team, and it was the chief people officer. Mel came to me and said, "Look, Andrew, we need." what you've done for the leadership team, and we need to scale that down through the organization to Mm. the middle managers, the first managers. So we need a very practical framework that they can use. And could you do that? And I said, well, you know, back in the day, you know, I did basic management training and I've got the source material and I know how I would want to change it. But, you know, what's your budget? And she, she had a number and it was okay, but it was like, yeah, it's a lot of work for that. I said, can I hang on to the IP and then I'll write my own book? And she said, yeah, deal. And I went, okay, fine, it's a deal. So I wrote the book for them, a handbook, which gave them their way of managing their cultural book. And then I had, I'm sitting on all this and then I I developed it and, you know, it was the midst of the pandemic. People were crying out for very practical leadership Mm. skills. And what I'd done for that organization is I'd basically identified 10 conversations that leaders have. And I called them plays, stealing from the American football concept of a series of behaviors. I expanded it out to 12 for the new leadership playbook, identifying there are 12 conversations that you have every week, every month as a leader, and how do you do them well? And those conversations are driven by principles. So I talked about the principles and a framework for leadership. But what I think makes this book different, and I, I know I'm selling the book, but most books are, you know, at, at 36,000 feet looking down at leadership. You know, you, you you know that people need, okay, I'm stuck. I'm in this scenario. How do I lead myself out of this? Yeah. And if you've got a conversation written down and and you say, oh, well, here's an example, then you can, you know, I, I find I, I personally learn very well. When somebody shows me how to do something, I go, okay, I can, I can learn from that and I can apply that over here. And that was the intention of this book. Hmm. Interesting. And and I like the way you've done it. it you've laid out these, these plays and these conversations, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, what are, you know, as you as you see it and you're involved with a, with a number of different businesses around the country and you're helping leaders, what are some of the challenges of being a post-pandemic leader? What has changed in our in our leadership uh, environment these days? Um, well, I actually came up with um, I came across some research just very recently. I was uh, interviewing somebody who was uh, in knowledge management, and uh, her and her partner had done some great research around how leaders are using social platforms. You know, the intranet as opposed to the internet, you know, the internal, you know, they're using Microsoft Teams or they're using Yammer. or And it was interesting that they'd found only 8% of leaders were actually engaging people in conversation, in dialogue. 
And and the leaders that I was talk, I've been talking to are saying, oh, you know, our people are not engaged post the pandemic. We need to get them back in the office. And I went, well, that's a false equivalence, mm. right? Okay, there's a decrease in engagement, absolutely, but is getting them back to the office because I know when they were in the office, they weren't engaged, right? <laughs> and and I witnessed a lot of people during the pandemic gain a lot of greater autonomy, greater mm. self drive, self drive, you know, uh, housewife. So mothers were able to rearrange their work around their kids and, you know, do the work at night because asynchronous work came in. So the so I looked at this research and I looked at the the practical skills I had. And I think what what leaders are struggling with is leaders are very good at broadcasting. Here's what we want to have happen. Yeah. Here's what's happening. Here's what has happened. But now, post-pandemic, people want to be engaged. They want to be part of the conversation and go, okay, these are the challenges we're facing. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. You know, do you have input? And that's what drives engagement. Mm. So post-pandemic, you know, you've got this, this huge, um, uh, well, it's called a great resignation. Lots of people leaving organizations. Um, you know, as soon as, I mean, economic uh, factors are keeping people in, but they're not engaged unless the leaders are engaging them. Yeah. And so leaders have to have conversations, hence writing 12 conversations. So that's that's the shift. You cannot imagine that just because the pandemic is now an, you know, an endemic, that you're just going to return to business as usual. That mm. is ludicrous. It's insanity. Um, and Mike, the clients that are engaging me are saying, okay, how do we not slide back into old habits? We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This podcast is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Now, don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to help take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. Now, I've worked with Jeremy for the past year, and I'm in the best shape of my life. So if you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at jeremyclevengerfitness.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com, or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. 
people were given some some autonomy during you know during the pandemic and they like it they're like wait a second i can like you said i can take care of my kids and i can and i can work i can i can work at my own pace or at my own schedule if you will and uh they they want people now now bosses are saying come back to the office let's go back to i'll put you in you know in in a box for for 8 hours a day and people are saying wait a second you know uh, and i think that's a bit of a challenge too and i think People got that autonomy and they like it and they want to have some level of it in their lives still. And 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 I think that's the big the dilemma that uh, leaders face. How do we continue some of that, but also, you know, go back to some of the ways we used to do things? So you you talk about two things. And what's interesting, you say that um, that being a good post-pandemic leader requires a balance of empathy and, and accountability with accountability. Talk, talk, talk to us about the empathy and, and accountability and how those play with what you just talked about earlier. You know, I say it's a post-pandemic, but I actually think that was true before the pandemic. I think it's really become to the fore, right? So leaders have to deliver results, yeah. right? If you're a leader and you don't deliver on results, your tenure is limited, right? Yes. Yeah. However, we, despite AI and, and digital transformation and automation, we still get results with and through people. Mm. And so if you don't engage the people, you won't get the results. Now, you know, I, the Navy SEALs have this, uh, how does it go? Um, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yes. Right? So spending the time engaging the people seems like it takes time, but then you get the accelerated results because they now are empowered, they have autonomy, they have buy-in. And so because you care about your people, it takes a bit longer, but you'll get to your destination faster. Mm. Um, and just encouraging people. So, you know, the whole, you know, drive the numbers, drive the numbers, drive the numbers. Um, we saw through the pandemic that organizations that retain people were the ones that go, well, we're not just going to fire people because we're not making money. We're going to be empathetic. How can we restructure? How can we put people on furlough? How do we keep people looked after? And those companies have kicked back. One of my clients, um, we worked through looking after their people through the pandemic, and they've just had three massive quarters mm. because they kept the key people. So as soon as things turned up again or ticked up, whatever you want to say, they were ready, the people were engaged, bang. Whereas other organizations are running around scrambling to get staff. Yeah. I don't know if you've been through an airport lately, but you know, there are <laughs> yes. no check-in staff, there are no Nothing. security staff, <laughs> there are no immigration staff, but there are lines and lines and lines of people because the airline industry you know, and, and the security, they laid everybody off, and you can't just hire those people back instantaneously. There's nobody wanting to load your luggage. And that that's a disaster, isn't it? So um, yeah, always you know, always look after your people, and your people will look after your customers. I mean, that was uh, Virgin Airlines' uh, motto yeah. from Mr. Yeah. Richard Branson. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. My first, I ran my first manufacturing plant in, in 1999, and um, we had we had tremendous results. After I was there three and a half years, and we had just record results. We were the top performing plant out of our division, and uh, all of all of it was engaging people. Just just you know, spending time on the shop floor, learning learning where the mistakes were, where the challenges were, where the tooling was bad, where the procedures were wrong, and and actually listening to people and making the changes based on their feedback and their input. And uh, we ended up having all these record results. And, and it was funny because the other general managers were trying to figure out how I did it. And, and I said, it wasn't that difficult. We just engaged the people. So we did the hard work of 
you know, like you said, you know, we went we went slow, but we ended up moving faster because we engaged the teams, engaged the people. And I think it was um, it was hard. The other general managers wanted a quick fix and they're like, well, it can't be that easy. I'm like, no, actually, it was that easy. It was just getting people, uh, you know, bought in or or involved in the whole process of running the plant. What can we do? You know, how what would you recommend we do to, to be able to improve this operation versus the guy in the corner office making the decisions on everything? I think that was, uh, and, and again, uh, it, it, it worked in, in 1999. It can work today. And especially now, it needs to be working today. We need to be listening to our folks. Yeah. It, it does. And I mean, this my book's not for you. My book is for those people who wanted the quick fix to read. Right. Because they, need to know, because they don't know how to have those conversations. Yeah. And now we also have to have those conversations through this medium. You know, you and I are chatting through through Zoom. People might only be listening to this on a podcast without the without the visuals. Uh, by the way, I don't have any hair. Um, but <laughs> we, you know, how quickly you and I engaged each other just in the five minutes before we pressed record. That skill to connect with people through Zoom, a lot of people have struggled with that. Um, yeah. You know, the ability to look down the barrel of a webcam rather than yeah. you know, look at your keyboard. Uh, the number of people I've had, you know, who use laptops. So I've said, look, if you're doing a Zoom call, very simple. You know, get a stack of books, and put your laptop on the stack of books, and bring the yeah. the yes. the screen forwards so the camera's looking at you, not up your nose. Yeah, and 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 just, you know, I mean, I'm looking at you down the barrel of a, a 35 millimeter camera because I, you know, I I, I broadcast my my material um, uh, in high definition, but. Um, yeah, it just, you know, two years into the pandemic, some people were still doing it. And I'm like, has nobody told you that this is a really <laughs> bad idea, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've had a lot of uh, guests on the show talking about hybrid meetings and doing virtual meetings properly, but it's all about connecting with the person on the other side of the screen. That person's not there, but the camera is that person. And, and sometimes we forget that. And we were, you know, sometimes I see, I get on calls and you, you see somebody's ear because they're looking, their camera is somewhere where, where they're looking somewhere <laughs> else. And uh, that's not a good way to communicate. So in general, so that's, that's important. So, um, so then the um in this book the the new leadership playbook you uh you lay out a new leadership framework model and you introduce this so and you say that it helps us drive accelerated results could you talk a little bit about that uh the 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 framework model that you have in the book Yes so it is clear expectations um times mindset and motivation times right behaviors equals accelerated results um, and as I said, I was this book was commissioned by a client, and I, you know, I went back to some of the the, the management trainings I'd done you know, years ago, and I used to when I ran a class, and and I whether it was uh, for a company or an MBA class that I, I you know, I, I taught as an external faculty, I would tell managers you need to go get yourself a mirror. Right. Mm. Well, I, I used to build the story out. Like, you know, there's a piece of equipment you need to buy, and everybody get their notebook out. And I go, yeah, it's a mirror. Because if you're not getting results, go. The first place you look is in the mirror, <laughs> yes. because we fail abysmally because because we fail to set clear expectations. We have a mental picture in our mind of what we want. And we assume telepathically the other person is going to understand exactly what we want. And when they deliver what what they thought we wanted and it's not what we wanted, we're all upset. And yet we're at fault. 
And so that feedback loop of, hey, this is these are my expectations. You know, let me understand. You know, let me let me understand what you understand by that. Um, that's not condescending. That's, you know, let's make sure we're both on the same page. Oh yeah, right? yeah. Um, you just just you got to you know, communication comes from the Latin communio, which means to share, and and it means shared meaning and understanding. And back to that point I made earlier. Leaders broadcast; they don't communicate. They haven't created the yeah. feedback loop. Well, it's interesting I mean, you say that because uh, in my in my uh, second book, All in the Same Boat, I talk about something we use in the Navy called verbatim repeat back. And so you would yeah. give an order, like to the helmsman, and he would repeat that command back to you. And it was a process of I gave a command, and you repeat back the command. So I understood you. Un- so I knew that you understood what the command was before we executed it. And so it was like a chance to double check the the order. And so I actually made that equivalent to like as business leaders, we need to make sure our people truly understand what the what the objective is before they embark on it. Because the worst thing you can do is someone send somebody off on a on a on a project, and they come back, and the results are nothing like what you expected because you know there wasn't clear understanding right in the get go. So it's it's, it's Exactly what you're talking about. We are, but there's a, there's a, you know, and a command is fairly you know uh, you know binary. You know, turn left, yeah. turn right, port starboard, right. Um, we also have to ask, you know, what does that mean to you? Because humans have this incredible ability to translate yeah. something, right? Based so into their own just, context. You know, it's yeah. not just. It's yeah. not just what did I say, because as sometimes people can repeat verbatim exactly what you said, but it meant something completely different. <laughs> In their to mind, them, yes, right? yes, yeah. Uh, um, so there is this, you know, you've got a, you've got a, uh, one of your books uh, behind you with the submarine, and of course, submarine has sonar, and it's sending out the ping and receiving the pong, and it's a constant iteration. Yeah. And we really have to change our mind in leadership is you don't broadcast once. It's constant iteration. What did you understand? Observing the behavior, making the adjustments. Um, and it's the same with relationships, right? You know, I mean, husbands and wives, you know, uh, get this wrong all the time. It's, you know, I said this, you should understand. Or right, worse, right. I didn't say it and you're supposed to know what I meant. Um, and uh, <laughs> all the men listening to this going, yeah, that's what my wife does. Uh, so the, the expectation. So firstly, be really clear. Here's what my expectations are. And, um, you know, if, if, if and then again, I'm going to get real trouble with sort of gender stereotypes here. But, you know, if the wife likes flowers, tell him you like flowers and then he'll go, oh, she likes flowers. I'll go get flowers. Expecting him to be, you know, to to be telepathic is not a great way if you want flowers. You might get them, you might not, but it's a bit <laughs> random. Anyway, so the next is is mindset and motivation. And clearly, uh, once the person has received instructions, you know, do they have a growth mindset that they can try something new, get the feedback, or do they have a very fixed mindset? If I get if I get this wrong, I'm going to lose face. And and are they motivated to improve? And uh, in the book, of course, I deconstruct motivation. Um, and you know, motivation very much is intrinsic, as you know. Um, I mean, you can you can reward people temporarily, but usually motivation is: if I put in effort, will I get an improvement in my performance? If I get an improvement in my performance, is that going to be validated? You know, recognized, appreciated, rewarded, and are those rewards the sort of rewards that I want, right? So as a leader, we have to understand that we want to engage people that they have buy-in and that they feel that they're going to make progress. 
And the last piece, of course, is right behaviors. And all the mindset in the world without the right behaviors won't get you the results. Mm. So if somebody has the right, you know, what we would call attitude, um, are they translating those into the behaviors that work? And so the ability to observe behaviors and give accurate feedback on those behaviors um, will give you the accelerated results. Mm. And that means convers- it means observation and it means conversation. If you, even if you, you aren't with the person, you can create an observation of what they did, right? So when you're on a Zoom call, you can still say, so how did the meeting go? Who was at the meeting? What did you say? How was it received? When they said that, how did you respond? And very quickly listening, you can see, well, you know, I got upset that they said this. Okay, so getting upset, did that serve your purpose? No, they left the meeting. Did we get the sale? No. Okay, so let's have a look at those behaviors. Did they work? No. What was your mindset? Well, I was irritated, right? Okay, so what was my expectation I shared with you? Be nice to the customer. Okay, so we have a problem somewhere in that framework, right? So I've been doing this for 25 years. Every management leadership problem I have ever come across, if I go, was there an expectation? Was there mindset and motivation? Were there right behaviors? There's, if there was a failure, one of those or two or three of those was missing. Mm, makes and, sense. and it's been a, just a fabulous diagnostic tool. So is it new? No. Is it um, new in terms of getting into the book and showing it how people can use it in an everyday conversation and diagnostic? I hope so. I hope this adds value to people. Yeah, absolutely. And and just uh, real quick, I wanted to just mention, mention or ask you about, you've got these 12 plays that are in the book. Um uh, give us, you know, just, I mean, uh, you don't have to go through them all, but uh, give us an overall view of wh- what these are. Like you said, they're conversations to be had, right? So tell us just in general what what they are and what leaders can use uh, use them for and how do they make things better? Sure. Look, well, the most powerful one I've almost articulated already, and that is the ability to give feedback in real time. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, and feedback is the breakfast of champions, but sometimes it tastes like cardboard when we get feedback because <laughs> we like to hear the good feedback. We don't like to hear the negative feedback. Right. And and there's a lot of cultural nuance and, and power differential issues around giving feedback. The ability to create a psychological safe environment to say, here's what happened. Here are the facts. Are you, do we agree that this is what happened? Yes. Do you know what the impact of what you just did is? And and, and this Allowing people to see the connection between what they did and the impact of that is very powerful. What was your intention, which is sort of another I, and they go, I wanted to do this. So this is what happened. This is the impact. That wasn't your intention. Therefore, what are you going to do next in the future? And then that'll lead you into coaching. Start, stop, continue. So to feedback, if you've set the objectives clearly, Feedback allows you then to move into a coaching conversation about how to improve. Mm, So, you know, if there was only one play in the book, it would be how to give and receive feedback. Um, And that immediately makes a difference to anybody who reads that. I've got hundreds of testimonials of people say, I just did this and suddenly my management was better. Um, I know when you wrote to me, you liked the crucial conversations one. Yeah. And so since you read that and I, uh, since you wrote to me and said you liked that, I, I thought I'd better talk about that. Sure. What if feedback doesn't work? Because and I, you and I will get this all the time. I, you know, I've set the expectations. I gave the feedback and they still not working. Right. 
So what did Jim Collins say? Get the right people on the bus, get the wrong yeah. people off the bus, and get everybody in the right seat, right? Well, it's a little bit better, but before you just throw everybody off the bus, you want to have a conversation which is a level above feedback. Yeah. And I use the metaphor or the analogy of putting the fish on the table. If the fish is under the table, it'll rot and stink. If we can put the fish on the table, it's it's we can cook that fish, we can eat it together. It's a level of transparency and candor. And in coaching managers and leaders over the years, the ability to say, hey, look, this is happening. I'm frustrated. I'm not seeing the improvement. You said you were going to improve. Something's going on here, and I'm at a loss to understand what it is. Can you tell me? Mm. And the ability to have that, you know, to be a manager, be vulnerable and say, I've got a narrative about that. It's triggering my emotions. You know, I'm I'm fundamentally giving you one last chance to say, tell me what's going on. Mm. And sometimes those conversations, we find that there's something we as a manager leader were completely unaware of. There was a process, a procedure, there was policy. There was something we had an assumption, we had a narrative about how that person was. And suddenly the lights come on and we go, oh my God, I read this situation wrong. And, And that can be resolved. Or we find this person really is in the wrong place on the wrong bus. And really it becomes crystal clear that it would be better for all concerned if an exit was created. Yeah, but yeah. have the have the conversation. Um, because I, I love that. I love that. It's so so important that you have that conversation because you're right. There sometimes you do uncover this family crisis or some something you didn't know or you know that that was that was like, like that employee's behavior was different than what you would normally expect. And so and and then you you might find that reason before you take drastic actions. I think that's really important. And I think the other side of it too is. You know, sometimes there's puzzle pieces that just don't fit in our puzzle, you know, and they might fit in someone else's puzzle perfectly. But for for what we need right now, it just doesn't fit in our puzzle. And so you do have to make those decisions with certain people that it's just, you know, maybe it's best, uh, to, you know, that we don't work together anymore. And I think the, the quicker you come to those conclusions, the better off you'll be than to have somebody that's a poor performer or has behavioral issues or is a, is a toxic person in the organization. If you don't take action on that as a leader, everyone looks, you know, everyone says, well, that must be acceptable behavior if that is allowed to continue. So I think it's important to make sure to find those people and, and work that out. Absolutely. And have that conversation earlier rather than later. And so writing it down as a conversation, giving it a framework you know, has empowered uh, you know the people who've read the book, and you know I've coached to have that, and and it's been beneficial regardless of outcome. It's beneficial that they had the conversation. So those are two of the twelve plays, and um, obviously people are going to if they want the other ten, people are going to need to buy the book. I am sorry, <laughs> <laughs> and I do. So it's a great it's a great plug. So I do encourage leaders. You're listening in, uh, and uh, take a look at this book. It's called the New Leadership Playbook: Being Human Whilst Successfully Delivering Accelerated Results. And we really just kind of, you know, scratch the surface of some of the things that are in this book. I think it's it's really good. It's really well laid out. It's easy to read. And I think it's uh, it can really help you be a more effective leader, especially in a time when, you know, um, yeah, we have to we have to bring a lot more empathy to work these days. And uh, this is a great way to do it, to have those conversations. And uh, I really appreciate, Andrew, you coming on the show. Where can people go to find this book, learn about your company uh, or anything else? Well, the domain selfleadership.com is where you'll pretty much find everything. Um, and, you know, you'll find my self-leadership work and, and there's a link to the book. 
Um, I did put a, a website, thenewleadershipplaybook.com, if you just want to have a look at that. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn under Andrew Bryant. And, um, and yeah, all online bookstores are, are, are covering it. So uh, get your Kindle or your, uh, or your paperback. I've yet to record the audio. It's, uh, it's on my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> and that takes a lot of time, too. <laughs> So yeah, you've, you've done that, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I've outsourced it. So because it does take so long and, and, and this is a part-time gig for me, I'm, you know, running my plant. So, uh, so I actually had someone else read the book. So, but uh, are you going to do it yourself? Yeah, well, because I am a speaker, people yeah. want to hear my voice, right? Yeah, so. well, plus you got the cool accent too, you know, so you got to have your well, voice in there. <laughs> well, anyways, thank you. Th- thank you, Andrew, for coming on the show and sharing all this information. I think the the, the, the aspect of self-leadership, I think people who are listening, and I think you should d- dive deeper in that, uh, look at your other books that you've written and, 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 and in this new book as well. Uh, so I really encourage leaders to take a look at that. And uh, if you want to be more effective, you've got to master some of these techniques that uh, Andrew lays out in these books. So, Andrew, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing all this information. It's been my pleasure, John. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric